0: You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Happy Easter, everyone! This is a big deal, bigger than Christmas, and we know how big Christmas is. But um, Christianity rises and falls on this weekend, and so um, welcome to you uh, all over the GTA that are watching, my Every Nation family. If you're joining us for the first time, a special welcome to you as well. And uh, my name is Richard. For those who don't know who I am, now before we jump into the message today, I'm going to read one of the resurrection accounts from Luke's Gospel. So uh, it'll be up there on your screen, or if not, then you can just listen to my smooth voice. As I read, uh, what a glorious story. Here we are, Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. It says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, And he went home marveling at what had happened. That is the word of the Lord. And that is such an exciting passage of Scripture. You know, I often think about uh, Peter. What a weekend he had. You know, from Friday, he's... uh, denying jesus he abandons jesus the guilt the feeling of shame he must have experienced sitting in that on saturday the leader that he looked up to that he left literally everything behind to follow, was now crucified in the most shameful horrible way and was laid to rest in the tomb how would he pick up his life what life would he pick up where would they go to from here and then sunday comes and he gets this message from these ladies like Jesus is not in the tomb. And he runs there and he sees for himself that Jesus is not in the tomb. And the rest, we say, is history. And so I want to pick up a little bit on Peter's story today, and the text I want to preach from today is actually a letter that Peter writes some thirty-plus years later, um, and his life has been dramatically changed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so he pens a letter to Christians who are new in their faith and experiencing incredible times of testing and persecution. It's round about the time that an emperor called Nero is in charge, and if you know your history, you know that was quite a cruel emperor and persecuted a lot of the Christians. And so a lot of them are literally having to count the cost of, of following this resurrected Christ. And so Peter writes a letter to them and uh, And I just wonder how much his life has changed by seeing and witnessing the resurrected Christ and so we're going to pick up on his words shortly here in first Peter 1 verse three to nine and um, it's going to be a, a letter of, and a word of hope to these people and I think about that word hope and how relevant it is even today some two thousand plus years from this historical event you know some of some have said that we are really in a crisis of hope you know what things that we put our hope in and how easily they are um, falling away. And so sometimes we look and say, Hey, we've conquered nature. We, we've, progressed, and and we're we're an intelligent people, and science figures out everything, and we we can solve everything, and then this little virus just shuts down the planet for the last two years. And then we, we look and think of how we've made progress in technology, in government, how we as people are getting better, and then a war in Ukraine breaks out and reminds us that human nature is evil. It's both good, but it's also evil. We see the evil and just the backwardness of human nature, that here we are, supposed to be this progressive people, supposed to have learned from two world wars, now on the brink of what could be a third world war. Look to government, look to your particular political party, look to the economy, look to progress, look to almost anything, and you can see the fragility of that when we place our full hope in that. And it's not to say we're not to have some aspects of hope in those things, but I think what the message of Easter is, is that there is one that we can really truly get our hopes up. There's a lot of places where we can't get our hopes up. We shouldn't get our hopes up. Otherwise, we might be disappointed, will be disappointed. But there is a place, and this is the Easter morning, we say, it is time to get your hopes up. And so, let's join with Peter um, in chapter 1 of his letter to these Christians. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you rejoice Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Reminds me of some of the words Jesus said, Blessed are those that don't see Him but believe. We're counted in that bunch. And so today I want to speak very briefly and very quickly about how the resurrection really gives us a true living hope. And so what is hope? When we use the word hope in our context and culturally we use the word hope, it has a very different feeling and meaning that we read when we read about hope and and text like what we just read in first Peter. When we typically say, I hope it's, it's, it's about a, it's about a future or an outcome that is relatively a little bit uncertain for us. We don't necessarily have uh, control of it. We're hoping something will happen, but we're not kind of sure if it will happen. You know, right now we're in exciting sports times. You know, we've got playoffs with the Raptors. We've got playoffs with the Leafs. And hope arises eternal again, once again. I hope they do better this year than they did last year. And so that is a hope that is swelling uh, across Canada for Raptors fans and across uh, Leafs Nation that we're hoping and hoping, but we're still uncertain. Certain if they're going to live up to that hope, or maybe in a relationship. I hope this is the, maybe really have met someone and begin to like this person, begin to see perhaps a future developing. But there's still that question I hope this is going to work out. And so we could go on and, and but. We're not to think about that kind of hope when we come to what we read in the Bible. Biblical hope is, is very different. It's a very different feeling than that hope. It's more an assurance, a confidence, an expectation that God is good. And because God is good, our future in God is good. And so what is living hope? Well, it's the opposite of dead hope. <laughs> what is what is dead hope? Like dead faith? It's a, it's a faith to hope that's kind of useless or fruitless or powerless. Um So living hope is a confidence in God, which then has power to produce change in us today. It's a confidence in God. and It's a confidence in what he's promised. It's a confidence in him being able to realize that future that might be out of our hands, but certainly fully in control in his hands and realizing that that future is only good and then that goes to work and change how we live today. And so where does this kind of living hope come from? And Peter tells us where it, where it comes from uh, in that text we read. He says, uh, what has God done? He's caused us to be born again to a living hope in verse 3. How does he do that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And why does he do that? According to God's great mercy, God's mercy, God's love, God's kindness, God's um, compassion and concern at us and His creation that's been ravaged by the effects of sin and the fall, comes in the person of Jesus Christ, dies the brutal death, but undoes that, begins to undo that. And that's that resurrection. And so where does it come from? It comes from this past uh, historical event. And so a living hope is grounded firstly, in the past, it's kind of weird. Sometimes hope is often future orientated, but it's really grounded. The biblical hope, Christian hope, is grounded in the past. It's the credibility of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, another follower of Jesus, Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, arguably one of the most... Um, Outstanding Christians following Jesus, uh, he said it like this in First Corinthians. It's pretty powerful uh, what he says about the death and resurrection. Listen to his words as he writes to other. Christians in, in the city of Corinth at that time. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the crucial part that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and that to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500. Of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. I love the way they praise that, fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. And so he's going back and writing that the the crux of the gospel is the, not just the death of Christ, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's writing to people and say, hey, that, that Jesus appeared, that Jesus stuck around 40 days After he was raised from the grave, he appeared to all these people, over 500 people, some of whom you can go and ask right now. And so we have an empty tomb. We have eyewitnesses, and then we have the explosive growth of this Jesus movement that, some two thousand years later, is still growing, is still domin- dominant in in the planet and planet Earth. And so, what is the best explanation of those historical facts? What well, you got to say? Well, perhaps Jesus really did rise from the grave. Uh, I certainly think so. And people throughout history have staked. Their lies today and future on their claim, how about you? And so if Jesus indeed has resurrected, it then gives credibility, everything that he said, everything that he did. We should pay attention. We should study his life. We should see what he says, what he says about life, what he says about uh, everything in terms of what we need to know for eternal life. And so not only is the credibility of the resurrection here, but we also see the centrality of the resurrection. The death and resurrection motif or pattern really is at the heart of Christianity. And um, you can't get the one without the other. You don't have the joy of resurrection unless you go through death. And you certainly don't have any hope if it's just death and no resurrection and so these two events come together and they represent the heart of christianity you know jesus left us two important sacraments to uh, recognize and distinguish what it means to be a follower of jesus um, one is the lord's supper the last supper that he had we see his body broken his the the wine used as symbolic of his body broken his blood spilled for us speaking of his death but then we also see this other aspect called baptism water baptism which is a beautiful picture what it is it's the death and burial it's our identification with jesus in his death but then his resurrection we're dead in our sins and we arise to new life in christ which is why in the last two years we haven't been able to do baptisms we're excited to do some baptisms because it is a statement it's a public declaration that you're with this guy i'm with this man someone who rises from the grave i'm with him and so that's what we're saying when we get baptized. Not only is the credibility and the centrality of the resurrection important but we see the significance we've uh, if you've just joining us today in the last few weeks leading up to easter we've been talking about the significance particularly of jesus being crucified but now in his resurrection the significance of jesus resurrection really in two ways two significant ways Uh, number one it speaks of vindication that god vindicates god justifies god honors god exalts jesus the son declaring his life his teachings and his actions as true expression. Of the will of God for the world. So a vindication, what a vindication. He was an innocent man, cruelly put to death, and God vindicates him through the resurrection. But not only does he vindicate Jesus, there's a renewal, a great renewal of humanity and creation that's taking place. He is risen. There's a new beginning. As one author puts it, in the beginning God raised Jesus from the dead. It heralds a new moment. Things significantly change at the resurrection of Jesus for humanity and for creation. It's the great reversal of the curse of sin with suffering, hostility, and death. Transformed now into life and peace through Jesus. Jesus is raised and he's called the first fruit of a new creation forever untouched by sin and by death. The first fruit meaning there's those that would come to follow him would also taste what he has in the resurrection, a new creation, a new humanity. And so hope, hope is what you begin to get when you begin to believe the crucified Christ is raised From the grave. Hope is what you get when you begin to allow the resurrection to reinterpret everything for you. That you begin to allow the resurrection to reinterpret the way that you look at life, look at God, look at yourself, and look at the future. So, we have a living hope that's grounded in the past. But it's not just in the past. We have a living hope that's focused on the future. Kind of makes sense. Hope is future. Orientated, and Peter writes an important word in that scripture that we read. He talks about an inheritance. So I think we have an idea of what inheritance means. Certainly, they had a strong idea. We'll touch on that. What what inheritance might have meant to them, but we have this idea of of an inheritance being something that's been set apart and saved for us. Maybe your parents or grandparents, or in different ways, different family members have set something aside for you that's yours at a future date you know i think about how an inheritance could potentially change someone's lives imagine a a family member that you didn't know existed came out the blue and wrote you a note and said hey you don't know me but i've been watching your life and when I die, I'm going to give everything that I have to you. And you think, that's great. Maybe I'll get a nice tea set or, you know, a couple of paintings or, I don't know, whatever this person has. And say, oh, by the way, my inheritance is worth about hundred billion million million. And, like, that potentially would change your life, wouldn't it? And so, in a way, we understand inheritance gets us incredibly focused on the future, especially if that future is good. I mean, a tea set is one thing, but $100 million, that's an, another thing entirely. Um, or maybe it'll be in Bitcoin. Who knows? But But even those earthly inheritance are subject to perishing, subject to fluctuations. If it's a monetary market, it's subject to losing value. But he says our inheritance, it's imperishable. It's not going away. It's undefiled and it's unfading and it's kept for you by God. So how good is God at keeping things? I think he's pretty good, and so Peter wants to encourage them. Is like there is something set aside for an inheritance. So for the the Israelites, the people, the story of Scripture through the Old Testament tells the story of Israel, which is also kind of our story about how God is wanting to restore and reverse the effects of fall. And he tells them about this promised land, and the promised land symbolizes them. That's their inheritance. The promised land for them is where the presence of God is. It's where God's rule and God's reign is. Exercised. And in in essence, it's a new Garden of Eden. And since Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, we've all been longing for that homecoming. And so the promised land and inheritance is a kind of new Garden of Eden. And then we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus, Jesus really being our Garden of Eden. It's the presence of Jesus and the fulfillment of the gospel, fulfillment of all the great reversal that he has done through. The gospel. And so we see this. We see this biblical hope is, is related to a good future because of a good God. And therefore we can have a confident expectation in God to bring about that future which he's already begun in raising Jesus from the dead. Another one of uh, Jesus' close disciples, John who lived a, a long life, most of the disciples, in fact, all the disciples besides john uh, history tells us, were executed for their faith in jesus um, Peter um, tradition says was was executed upside down crucified upside down because he didn't want to count himself worthy to be crucified in the way that uh, Jesus was, and so you 've got to ask if they were trying to cover up something if the the whole resurrection thing was a hoax or a story they were trying to spin um, you've got to ask yourself would they have kept it for that long and would they have paid that kind of price for what would ultimately be a lie but John, he's, on, he's exiled he's in an old age and he's, uh, he's writing um, one of the, last book, the last book of the Bible called Revelation and uh, he gets a glimpse of this good future, of this inheritance and here's how he puts it from Revelation 21 he says, I saw a new heaven And a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth were completely gone. I heard a loud voice from the throne. It said, look, God now makes his home with the people. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and there will be no more sadness. There will be no more crying or pain. Things are no longer the way They used to be. Isn't that beautiful? That is, in some ways, um, Revelation 21 and 22 mirrors Genesis 1 and 2. We see a great reversal. We see it going back to where God's presence with people is seamless. Heaven and earth, there's no separation between those two. There's harmony with God and mankind, and there's harmony between mankind and creation. No death, no sickness, no suffering. Can you imagine a future like that? Can you imagine an inheritance? like that that is what we have to focus on and so we have a living hope grounded in the past focused on the future but what about the present we have a living hope that is vital for the present hope it's not just futuristic it's not just out there someday, it's not just grit your teeth now, but it's a futuristic hope that somehow we bring from the future into the present and changes how we look at life today. We look back in faith in Jesus' resurrection and we look forward in hope. For our own resurrection, leading us to live in new ways today. One of the, for one, it changes. Um, it energizes us to join God now in His redemptive purposes. To join God in what He's done, what He's begun in raising Jesus from the dead, his purposes for people and his purpose for the world, his redemptive purpose for people and for the world. Uh, I want to read something. I don't want to see up on the screen, but I want to read something from a guy called John Newton. Some of you will be familiar with that name. Others, you won't know it. But um, he was an English slave trader that encountered the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, like many people today, was changed by that this Easter weekend. And he became becomes an Anglican minister. He becomes a songwriter, a hymn writer in those days. You might have heard of one of his one-hit wonders. It was called Amazing Grace. You heard of that? Yeah. He's the writer of that. I don't think he was a one-hit wonder, but I think we all know that one. But he also later became a noted uh, abolitionist. And so he was a slave trader. God changes him. And then he goes to join God in reversing even that aspect of his life. This is what he had to say. Religion is not to be confined to devotional exercises, but rather consists in doing all that we are called to do with a single eye to his glory and will from a grateful sense of his love and mercy to us. This is the chemistry which turns every mundane thing into gold and stamps a value upon common actions. So religion is not just to be assigned to our devotional small component of our life, our devotional life, if you will, or a Sunday morning, if you will, but it's to impact and permeate all aspects of our lives. And when it does, we're able to do even the most mundane tasks to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and for others. And so that gives incredible meaning to a lot of aspects of our lives where sometimes we don't necessarily think his meaning in those and that's what he's talking about that we get to join god in his redemptive purposes for the world Through our lives. But it also reframes our perspective. And this is the big one because we live in a world that's not fully yet that futuristic good future that God is bringing about, right? We live in a world that's incredibly broken still. That yes, Jesus has begun something, but not yet is it in its fullness, in its finished product. And we live in that tension. And that's something for any follower of Jesus is going to have to come to grips with. And one of the ways we come to grips with that is to have the perspective that we need in order to navigate that ten, uh, tension. Verse six, Paul uh, Peter says it like this it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And so I love the way that he puts that in there. Um, that's reality, right? Joy, grief, happy, sad, elated, depressed. You know, at peace, anxious, you know, surrounded by people, lonely. That's reality. That's reality a lot of us face. For followers of Jesus, you're not exempt from that reality. We never diminish or deny or dismiss reality or your or my experience in that reality. But we also need to place that reality into a perspective otherwise we will just get washed away and we'll become hopeless. And so we, we take that reality and we place it within the perspective of this resurrection, of an eternal perspective of this, what he's telling us about how Jesus changes everything. And he says, even though now for a little while, right, a little while, like that's just a perspective, like, hey, yes, life is tough. But remember the hope that you have in christ remember the future that god has promised you remember that we can join him and so it reframes our perspective and what it also does it helps us have a new understanding of the role of things like suffering and trials we we still don't um it's still not a world that god wants where there's suffering that's why in revelation he'll wipe away every tear there'll be no death there'll be no suffering that's not but we can but We understand that even if we do go through trials and sufferings, they are not hopeless or meaningless or purposeless. They can even have a sense of meaning in them. C.S. Lewis talked about this in this way. He says, They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory i don't know how god is going to do that but anything and everything that you experience in your life the good the bad the ugly god is somehow for those that have faith in him and have hope in him and trust in him somehow the goodness of god is going to use all that not ignore that not dismiss that not in spite of that but because of that he's going to use all that to increase your future glory, even the agonies that you've gone through physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is. How is God going to do that? Leave it and trust it in his hands. But nothing is wasted with God. Nothing is wasted with God. And that's what C.S. Lewis is reminding us there. That's what Peter's talking about even though for a little while you may experience these trials these testings but part of those trials and testings is to strengthen your faith to show show the genuineness of your faith he talks about how gold is refined you think gold is still a standard of wealth and values even used today and how gold is a precious material how much more is our faith how much more is this hope in a good God, and, 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 and trials um, can help strengthen that, can help refine that, can help uh, produce a genuineness of that. And so in closing, I love what he says in verse 8-9, Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls again jesus said blessed are you and me we have not seen him but we believe and so believing in jesus resurrection it's not just an affirmation of some historical uh, event or fact it's not some creedal proposition that we agree to although those two things can be very important in terms of shaping our faith grounding us in our faith but believing jesus is it's personal And it's personal in that it means trusting in God, in this God, this God that raises the dead, who calls for our commitment to love and to trust in His Son, Jesus, and to join Him in the worldwide mission that the resurrection has launched. It is a new way of life, and that life is what this day is all about. It's God inviting us now to participate in a new life and new way, um, joining Him in that. And so I have a very simple prayer. And it's a prayer that comes out of Scripture. Later, Paul, another, again, same guy that encountered Christ, he said it like this. He says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. And it will be my joy today to pray for those of you who, maybe all your questions are not answered, but all this, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has raised Him from the dead, you too will be saved. You too will have this glorious inheritance, this future to look forward to, grounded on this past event, and it will shape and change the way that you live today. And so, Father, I pray for all those watching today, God. I pray uh, for as we join millions around the globe today, as we confess with our mouths, Jesus, You are Lord. And God, You have raised Your Son, Jesus, from the dead. That. Death no longer has victory, but Jesus is victorious even over death. God, we confess him, Jesus, you are Lord, and we place our faith and our hope in you today, God. Help us to join you. Help us to have this faith, this hope, not just in some glorious, great future and inheritance that you have for us, but that that would go to work to changing us here and now, today, that we would be a people of hope, of true hope, assured Confident expectation in a good God who raises the dead and brings new life out of the grave. Nothing is beyond you, God. Nothing is uh, misused by you, God. Nothing is beyond the realm of your redemptive purposes. And so we are so thankful today that Easter is a reminder of that. Behold, you are making all things new, starting with us. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.